Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Good morning, good morning, Celebration Church. You feeling alive in the 325? Anybody out there, come on. Man, what a height difference between those guys. I love it. But uh, just amazing nonetheless. Um, Man, it is such a thrill, such an honor, such a privilege uh, to get to stand here before you this morning. Um, If we have not had the privilege of meeting, my name is Keenan Clark. Thank you, Weston Clark. We do flex that last name. I'm just kidding. My name is Keenan Clark. I am uh, the young adult pastor here at Celebration Church. I oversee all of our, our, our college ministry alongside my amazing wife, Beth. And uh, it is just such a thrill, such an honor, such a privilege, like I said a moment ago, to get to be here. Um, as Weston said, and we say week in and week out, there are so many amazing church communities, local bodies meeting right around this time that you could be worshiping with, you could be connecting with God with. And it is just such an honor. It really is. We mean that from the bottom of our heart. It's such an honor that you would uh, come and be a part of what God's doing here at Celebration Church this morning. And you guys are the early crew, 930, okay? So that means you're desperate to get in the doors. You're desperate for a little bit of Jesus. I like some desperate people, okay? So uh, I was desperate, and then God gave me her. So now I'm my thirst is quenched. So um, I'm happy to be here, and I hope you are too. And if uh, you're new around here, we're in a sermon series that we're calling um, Try This at home. That's what we're calling it. We're calling it Try This at Home. And we've been coming back to this passage of scripture every single week. And it's John 15, 4. And I want us to jump into it. And I want us to look at it first in the New King James, because that's where we've been going every single week. And then I want us to look at it in the Passion Translation. I love the Passion. I've developed a passion for the Passion. But let's read New King James first. It says this, John 15, verse 4. It says, Abide in me, abide in me, this is Jesus, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I love this. We're talking about this idea of trying this at home. And the big takeaway, I don't know for you what the big takeaway has been, but the big takeaway during this series for me has been that church should be an extension of your relationship with God, not the extent of your relationship with God. That God wants to meet with you outside of the four brick and mortar walls that we currently find ourselves in, that God actually wants to invade, infiltrate, and infect every single nook and cranny, pocket and crevice of your life. That that is what God wants to do. And I wanna read this same passage, this, this moment that Jesus is speaking. I wanna read it again, but this time in the Passion Translation. Let's turn over there. John 15, verse 4, it says this. So you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit. Listen to this. So your life will be fruitless unless you, look at this, you live your life intimately joined to mine. This is about living our lives intimately. I love that language intimately joined to Jesus. Now you need to understand this right off the bat. I'm just gonna jump right in. You need to understand this. The reason Jesus is saying this is because his current audience, much like my current audience, and sometimes myself, they had some things backwards, okay? They had some things out of order. They had the cart before the horse, 
so to speak. They got the chicken before they had the egg, okay? And Jesus is coming in in this moment trying to rearrange some of their thinking because the people he is speaking to believed that they needed to become like God if they ever were going to behold God. That they were going to try to, they needed to do their best to become like God so that one day they could earn being able to get a nice little view, a nice little glimpse of what God looked like. And so Jesus, knowing that they think this, knowing that they're so, they're so focused on their militants, steps into this moment and he says, um, you've actually got this all wrong. You've actually got the cart before the horse. You're trying to become like me so that you can behold me. And I'm here to tell you, you've got to first behold me. You've got to first get to know me. You've got to first see my face before you can ever begin to become like me. You know what Jesus is saying here in John 15, 4? He is saying that you will become what you behold. You will become what you behold. Um, I remember when I was back in junior high. Anybody remember junior high? I really consider that, that, that the portion of my life that God said he threw as far as the east is from the west, okay? Like, he remembers my sin no more, and I equate that to junior high, okay? So, junior high was just straight up sin, all right? It was horrible. And so, junior high was rough, and uh, if you have a question about me, if you're looking at me right now with a side eye, you're kind of like, what's up with this dude? Um, you need to understand, um, the only two types of schooling I ever did was I was either homeschooled or I went into a private Christian school. Okay, so if you were wondering what's up with me, there's your answer right there. I went to homeschool or I went to homeschool. I stayed at homeschool or I was in a private Christian school. And I remember when I was in junior high, I was at a private Christian school. And you can imagine, for those of you who have never been, I, I pray most of you can only imagine because I don't want you to have to have endured the torture I endured. Okay, but we all had the same baby blue um, 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 polo. We all had the same khaki shorts, the same haircut. Like it's literally as close to socialism as you can get in America, right? A private Christian Christian school, okay, it's rough, all right, everybody looks the same, okay, and so we're sitting there, we're in a private Christian school, we're going about our lives, and all of a sudden, my sixth grade teacher, she pipes up, and she says, here's what we're going to do, we're going to read this book, and we got into this book every single day, and I'm telling you, this book quickly, this book quickly became one of my favorite books of all time, and it was called The Outsiders, okay, the Outsiders. Anybody ever read The Outsiders? Come on, S.E. Hinton, one of the most amazing novels ever to be written, okay? It was amazing. And so we're going through this, this book. Come on, you know, stay gold, pony boy, stay gold. Like, it's, it's incredible, right? There's all these, these brothers and these guys, these, this, this, this gang called the Greasers. They're just, they're just the happening thing. It's awesome. And so I remember we're going through, and my teacher says, okay, if everybody aces the final exam over this test, I will let you watch the movie in class. And we were like, they made a movie about this? And she was like, yes, long before you were born, Keenan. Okay. It, was in it came out in 1983. And I'm telling you, this movie was star-packed. We got C. Thomas Howell, okay, as Pony Boy. It just gets better. We got Ralph Macchio. Come on, Karate Kid. Okay, Ralph, Ralph Macchio. We've got Rob Lowe. Anybody love Rob Lowe up in here? Tom Cruise has like three lines in it, okay? Emilio Estevez, Patrick Swayze, God rest his soul. Okay, it's all of these amazing, it's star-packed. This movie was happening. Okay, so we watched this film in class. It probably was not Christian school approved, okay? There's a little bit of language, all right? So we're watching The Outsiders in class, and I remember finally, we get to the end of it, the credits roll and the tears 
just begin to flow out of my eyes. You know, Johnny's dead. Dally's dead. I'm like pony boy sitting at his desk trying to write about his experience. You know, as I step out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride home. Come on, this is so good. It is riveting, right? This is, this is pulling every emotion I had in my sixth grade body, okay? So I'm sitting there. I watch this movie, and I go home, and I'm like, Mom, we need the outsiders in our house. I need this movie. And she's like, okay. So we go, we buy the outsiders, and I'm, I'm not, this is no word of a lie to you, okay? We are in church. God is watching. I cannot lie. I literally made a rule for myself that I had to watch the outsiders at least once a week, okay? There were two things I was going to do once a week, go to church and watch the outsiders, okay? Those were my things. I was religious about watching the outsiders. Okay, so literally, sometimes it was more than once a week. I was sitting there week after week after week watching the outsiders. Man, every time it hit me just the same, okay? And so this, was, this went on for like a long time that I was watching this every single week. And then all of a sudden, listen to me, all of a sudden uh, my dad began to notice that something was a little different about me. All of a sudden, a couple weeks into doing this little ritualistic thing of watching the outsiders, something began to shift about me. All of a sudden, I was wearing Converse. All of a sudden, my jeans were being cuffed at the bottom. I had a black T-shirt that was tucked into my said blue jeans that were cuffed at the bottom. All of a sudden, I was buying hair grease and carrying a comb with me and a pocket knife everywhere I went. My hair was slicked back. All of a sudden, I was taking little, like, sticky notes and rolling them up and pretending to smoke them, okay? And my, that wasn't all, all of a sudden my attitude kind of started to shift a little bit. Some of my language started to shift a little bit. I remember I'm rolling around in this, this greaser outfit that I had. And my dad says, like, what's up with your outfit? And I said, what's it to you? And he was like, what's up with your attitude? I said, uh, nothing, good father. I'm so sorry. You know what I mean? Like, I'll go to my room and pray about it. I don't know. You know? And so all of a sudden, like, reality was hitting in. And he said, he looked at me and he said, You've been watching The Outsiders, haven't you? I said, yeah, it's my favorite movie. He said, okay, I don't want you to watch that for another three months. I said, excuse me? He said, I don't want you watching The Outsiders for another three months. And would you believe that as three months transpired, as those three months went by, all of a sudden, greaser Keenan seemed to exit the scene. A little nerdy sixth grade Keenan came back to the stage. All of a sudden, I came back to myself because the truth is this I was becoming what I was beholding and I'm here to tell you this morning this is exactly what Jesus is saying in John 15 verse 4 he's saying so many of you are trying to become like me and you've never once beheld me you think you can earn my good graces you think you need to earn my love you think you need to go off and make yourself the best cheap imitation of me so that I might let you into my little social club and I'm here to tell you this is all about relationship This is not about religious boxes. This is not about crossing T's, dotting I's, and getting your spiritual ducks in a row. This is about getting up close, letting me infiltrate and infect every little nook, cranny, pocket, corner, and crevice of your life until there is nothing in you that does not agree with perfect love. Until there's nothing left in you that does not agree with what I say about you. This is an invitation. Listen to me. This is an invitation. To get to behold God. You will, be, you will become what you behold. You know, the church, listen to me, the church 
And I don't mean our church, I just mean the church at large. The church at large has put a real emphasis on how people live. How people live. And it seems pretty apparent to me, according to John 15, verse 4, and many other verses I could, I could throw at you, that Jesus seems more, more to, Jesus seems like he cares more about where people live. The church may care how you live. Jesus cares where you live. Because I'm here to tell you, where you live will always determine how you live. God cares about where you live, not just how you live. The church will say, you'll get to, you'll get to see God when all of a sudden you, you start to act like God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 the only way you'll ever act like me is when you start to behold me. When all of a sudden you stare into the face that has never once blinked while looking at you. When you stare into the eyes of perfect love, when you stare into the gaze that has never left you, all of a sudden that's when you begin to find what you've been looking for, and it's him. It's him. You see, the problem with us, Jesus is, inv is inviting us into this place of abiding in John 15, 4. But the problem for so many of us is the reason we have such a hard time abiding is because we're too busy hiding. The reason so many of us have a hard time abiding in John 15, 4 is because we spend Monday through Saturday hiding from God. And all of a sudden, Sunday rolls around and we think we need to kind of peek our head out of our hiding hole and kind of give him a little glance. No, no, when we understand who we're dealing with here, when we understand the one that is inviting us into relationship, we will quit hiding and we will begin to step into abiding. But here's the reason we're hiding. Listen to me. Here's the reason we're hiding. The reason we are hiding when it comes around to John 15, 4 is because John 15, 2 scared us into hiding. We read a moment ago, John 15, 4. But if you read your Bible correctly, which is not cherry-picking verses and calling it a day, okay, you should actually read one, two, three, and then four, okay? And we read verse two, or you did in your, in your Bible study, and verse two scared you. And I want to dive headfirst into John 15, verse two, and I want to start at verse one. Let's go there. We're going to read it in the New King James Version. This is what it says. John 15, verses one through two. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Listen here, here's the problem verse. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he's gonna take away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So before we could ever get to John 15, four, where Jesus says, abide in me, all of a sudden we heard, if I don't bear fruit, God's going to take me away. God's going to put me out. God's going to toss me to the side. And what I want you to understand, listen to me, this is so important. What I want you to understand is that phrase takes away is actually the poorest of poor translations of what Jesus actually said right there. The word Jesus actually used that we later translated takes away, it's actually the word ero. And that's how they would roll their R's. It was ero. And what ero means is not takes away. It literally means this, to lift or to prop up. I don't know where we got takes away from a word that literally means to lift or to prop up. Up. One says that if you don't live right, if you have a bad day, if you have a low moment, if you blow it, God's going to toss you to the side. He's going to take you away. He's finally going to get ticked off enough that he's now done with you. You are a lost cause. You are damaged goods, and you are infecting everything else. And the other says, man, if you're having a bad day, you don't get less of God. You get more of God. If you, don't have, if you have a bad day, you don't get less grace. In fact, you get more grace. That the grace of God is going to come in and he is going to prop your fruitless life up. You know what grace means in the original language? Grace literally means to stoop. 
in the Hebrew mind, the picture of grace was to stoop. That God is going to stoop down in grace and he is going to prop your fruitless life up. He's not going to put you out. He's not going to toss you to the wayside. He's not going to leave you high and dry. No, if you're having a bad day, you're getting more attention from your heavenly father. You're getting more love. You're getting more grace. The eyes of love, they are fixed on you. I want to read this in the Passion Translation real quickly. John 15 Verses one through two, he says this in the Passion. Jesus says, I am the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. I love that. Listen to this. He cares. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch back to yield a greater harvest. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches. Man, I'm telling you, religion lied to you, my friend. Religion lied to you. It may have told you that if you have a bad day, if you blow it, you need to go hide because if God's coming looking. He's made a list. He's checked it twice. He knows if you've been naughty or nice. God's coming to town and he's ticked. God's coming in, and he's got retribution for the things you did last Wednesday. And I'm here to tell you, that may have been the lie religion sold you, but the, the truth that relationship wants to bring is that if you have a bad moment, God's ready to prop you up. God's ready to serve you. God's ready to love you. God's ready to love the hell out of you. You understand that this morning? Some of you, you tried to get the hell out of yourself. You tried to get the bad stuff out of your life. And Jesus says, no, let me love the hell out of you. Let me love the impurity out of you. Let me love the parts of you that don't look like me until there's nothing left that doesn't agree with perfect love. Until there's nothing left in you that doesn't agree with what I, with your pre-designed intention, with what I have to say about you. God, do not give up on yourself. God is not one moment away. God's not one bad stroke away from tossing you to the wayside. And I'm here to tell you this morning, when you finally get an understanding that on my best days, maybe I'll bear fruit, but on my worst days, God will be right there to prop me up. He'll be right, that's what I was praying on the front row before I got up here. I was saying, God, lift me. God, prop me up. I kept saying that over and over. I said, God, lift me. God, prop me up. Why? So I can see you better. So I can see the eyes that love me. So I can see that you, who you've created me to be. So I can see people better. When all of a sudden you realize the fear of being displaced, the fear of alienation and isolation gets dispelled by the truth of the gospel. All of a sudden you will quit hiding Monday through Saturday and you will begin abiding Monday through Saturday. All of a sudden you won't want to go in your little hidey hole as soon as you get out of church and hope that God doesn't know what you're up to. All of a sudden you know if I blow it, I need God. The world is not going to prop me up. My job is not going to prop me up. The grace of God, it's going to stoop down. Oh, man, it's going to stoop down, and it's going to prop me up, and it's going to make me see that I was, I'm bigger than this. I'm better than this. This behavior, it, it, it's beneath me. It's not just not for me. It's beneath me. I have more dignity than this. I was made in his image. All of a sudden, God begins to lift you and prop you, and you won't want to hide. You'll begin to abide Monday through Saturday. I'm here to tell you this morning, when you understand this, you begin to see that God desires daily interaction, not a weekly fruit inspection. God desires daily interaction, not a weekly fruit inspection. 
And so many of us, that's exactly what we treat church like. We come in here, and it's our time to get looked over and examined by God. For us to admit all the places we blew it. For us to tell God that we're, we're unworthy and I'm just a worm and all this stuff. And God's saying, no, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, this moment is not for you. To come in here and tell me how bad you are. This moment is for you to come in and see how good I am once again. This moment is not just for another ritualistic kumbaya Christian time. It is for you to come in and behold my goodness again. And all of a sudden you realize that's not just regulated to a Sunday. I can have that Monday. I can have that Tuesday. I can have that Wednesday. I can have that in any day that ends in Y. I can have that all the time. All of a sudden, when you realize that God is not interested in putting you out, but he's interested in propping you up, you'll quit hiding. And you'll step into his sweet invitation in John 15, 4, that is abiding. You'll quit, you'll quit focusing on your fruit, and you'll start focusing on his face. And as you focus on his face, all of a sudden, the fruit just gets taken care of. All of a sudden, the fruit just somehow begins to grow, just, just, just vicariously through staring in to him. Man, I just feel God even right now in this moment kind of deconstructing some of the, some of the religious boxes that, have been, that have, you've been put in. The religious cage. We call it a religious box. You know what it is? It's a religious coffin. It's a religious coffin. And Jesus said, I came to pull you out of the grave. I didn't come to give you a religious casket. I came to give you an abundant life. That's what Jesus came to bring. And there's some of you, I believe it, you're on the precipice of stepping in to true freedom for the first time, maybe in your human existence. Because you're seeing that God does not desire a, a weekly fruit inspection. He desires daily interaction. And you know what that's going to do? That is going to begin to cause you to invite God into your everyday life. That right there will begin to cause you to invite God into your average ordinary, mundane, run-of-the-mill life. Because that's when you know God wants to prop me up. He doesn't just want to prop me up on Sunday. You Listen, you won't wait for Keenan Clark or Pastor Brandon or Steve Whitaker to get up on the stage and yell at you over a microphone. You won't wait until a worship team comes up and starts strumming a chord and we get to the third song and the bridge is hot and all of a sudden now you can feel him. All of a sudden you're beginning to feel him everywhere. Why? Because you know that wherever you go, he goes with you. David said it like this. He said, if I make my bed in hell, there you are, God. Where can I go that your presence is far from me? There is not a pocket, a nook, a cranny, a crevice of this life, of this planet that you could run to that God will not run there with you. He follows you all the days of your life. And when that begins to happen, all of a sudden, every day of your life, you begin to see him at work. All of a sudden, every day of your life, you're involving God. And this is what takes place when you do that. All of a sudden, moments of your life that used to seem secular become sacred. When you begin to involve God in your everyday life, all of a sudden, moments that used to seem secular, you would now define as sacred. God begins to turn everything into sacred. You know, here's what religion did for us. Religion created this dichotomy. Religion created this divide, okay? And what I want to call it is the secular-sacred divide. Religion said that there are secular things and there are sacred things, that there are secular jobs and there are sacred jobs. And what most of the religious church would define as a sacred job is what I have. I'm a pastor and I preach. Keenan has a sacred job. And that you, because you're an auto mechanic or because you're a business owner or, be, or because you're, you're a school teacher, you have a secular job. 
It's created this sacred, secular, secular, sacred dichotomy that there are these different moments of our lives that one moment might be sacred and the next moment, whatever you do, it's secular. You've heard this before. It's, it's, it's a secular job. It's a secular thing. It's secular music. It's secular this. And I'm here to tell you, when all of a sudden you acknowledge God in the midst of your everyday, average, ordinary life, moments that seem secular, you would now define as sacred. Let's, a, let's ask ourselves this morning, what makes something sacred? What makes something sacred? And the way, way I want to define what makes something sacred this morning is this thing, whatever it is, it is either unto or it is involving God. That's what makes something sacred. It is either unto or involving God. Those are the things we count as sacred. And when you realize that God is involved in every pocket of your, of, your, of your, in cranny of your life, all of a sudden you realize that we don't serve an agnostic God who spun the world into existence and kind of stepped back to watch how it all played out. No, we serve an intimately involved father. He is involved in every little pocket of your life. All of a sudden, every moment of your life becomes sacred. Pastor Steve did an amazing job. Two weeks ago, we talked about communion. Talked about communion. You know, the, the moment when we, when we take some, uh, a piece of cracker and we take some juice and we, we drink it in. And he, Pastor Steve did such a beautiful thing of, of acknowledging why that's sacred. And the re, what makes it sacred is the manner in which we do it. It's the mindset we have while we do it. So listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. This hit me so hard as I was studying this week. If, we can, if, we, if the manner in which we eat a cracker and drink some grape juice can make it sacred, what if we allowed that to all of a sudden not just be relegated to a cracker and grape juice, but what if we let it travel all the way to our laundry room? What if we let that same mindset all of a sudden travel to our cubicle? All of a sudden, we let that mindset travel to our car. All of a sudden, we let that mindset travel to our bedroom. All of a sudden, we let that mindset travel to cleaning our house or mowing our lawn. What if it wasn't just eating a cracker and drinking some grape juice in this building that was sacred? What if I acknowledged him in all that I do and it recognized his hand at work and now my whole life is sacred? Now, all of a sudden, you couldn't do something secular if you tried. God is involved in every moment of your life. I'm here to tell you, your whole life has always been sacred. You just didn't know it. Your whole life has always been sacred. God is, you've never known a day apart from the, the presence of God. God has always been involved. God has always been there. God has always been with you. And so now, what I really want to challenge you with this week, what I really want to challenge you with this week, is when you begin to go back into your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I want you to go back to those familiar pockets. I want you to go back to that old place of laundry. I want you to go back to that place of mowing your lawn and acknowledge how sacred that moment is. Not because of what you're doing, but who you're doing it with. Not because of the action, but because who has infiltrated and infected and affected that moment. And now all of a sudden it's different. What would this do to try this at home? What would this mindset shift do to beginning to live out our faith that we don't have to hide because we don't serve a God who's going to put us out. We serve a God that even in our low moments, he wants to prop us up. I remember two weeks ago, I was, I was sitting at home. My wife and I had kind of had a rough day. I was being insensitive. I'll out myself. I was being insensitive. And so my wife, she was, she was a little tired of it, you know. It gets late at night and she, begins, she goes to bed and I'm just kind of up. And I'd been listening to a podcast. And I remember like, I just turned the podcast off. I was just tired of listening to it. And all of a sudden I saw that she had, she had 
you know, clean the laundry and stuff. And I was like, I heard God whisper in my ear. He said, fold the laundry and spend time with me and recognize how precious this moment is. And so I walked over there. I'm telling you, this has not been an aha day. This has not been the, gla- the, the clouds of heaven have opened and I'm just having a, everything has worked out for me. This is all of a sudden, God just whispered into my rough day. God whispered into my rough moment when I was having a problem, when I was the issue, I was what needed to be propped up. And all of a sudden I begin to fold laundry and I recognized his presence in that moment. I'm telling you, I was not all of a sudden in front of my couch and in front of some clean laundry. All of a sudden, I was in a sanctuary, and I just began to feel him, and the grace of God wasn't reminding me how terrible of a husband I was. He was reminding me that I need to be sensitive. He was reminding me that he loved me, and the grace of God began to prop me up as I just did laundry. And I'm here to tell you that same presence that invited me into that moment and made that moment sacred is waiting for you. He is waiting for you at your cubicle. He's waiting for you in your car. He's waiting for you in your, in your laundry room. He's waiting for you when you step behind the mower. I'll be doing this later today. Later today, it's on my agenda to mow our lawn. And I promise you, what I will be doing is acknowledging how sacred that moment is. Not because it's a menial task, but it's because now it's miraculous. Because what was once secular has become sacred because God does it with me. He does it with me. There is no secular sacred divide. If you're a child of God and God is with you all the days of your life, everything you do is sacred. It's sacred. I want to prove it to you. I'm sorry, I'm crying all over the place, but I want to prove it to you. Let's jump over to Acts 19, verse 11 through 12. It says this, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, what is happening is God was moving in such a miraculous way through Paul that people literally were coming up, snipping off a piece of Paul's apron, mailing it to their sick relative, and as soon as that sick relative would touch that garment, they would be healed instantly. This is pretty unprecedented. This is pretty miraculous. This is, this is wild stuff. But the reason I point that out to you, the reason I point that out to you is because, listen to me, most scholars believe, listen to me, Most scholars and theologians believe that the apron that they were cutting off of Paul and mailing to their sick relatives was not the apron Paul wore when he preached. It was not the apron Paul wore when he prayed. It wasn't the apron Paul wore when he studied the scriptures. It was the apron Paul wore when he made tents. You understand Paul had a secular job. He had a side hustle. Paul had another thing. He would make tents. And the theologians most agree that the, 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 the apron that they would cut and mail to their sick relatives was not some, some sacred garment. It was his secular work attire. Paul understood that there was no difference between something secular and sacred, that everything he touched now became sacred. All of a sudden, God was involved in it all. I don't need to have preached in this shirt for me to be effective ever a day in my life. All this, this is the equivalent of somebody coming up to your work uniform, snapping the shirt off, mailing it to their aunt, and her being, her being recovered and, and healed in a moment. That's the equivalent. They're literally cutting up his work uniform. And mailing it to people. There is no secular sacred divide. It is all sacred. Whether I'm making tents or I'm making disciples, it's sacred. It's sacred. It is unto and involving God. I'm here to tell you what would happen if all of a sudden you, like Paul, began to acknowledge the presence of God in every little orifice and cranny, pocket, crevice of your life. Every little mundane moment, every ordinary, every ordinary second, you began to acknowledge his presence, his nearness that's not wanting to put you out, but it's itching to prop you up. 
It's itching to lift you. It's itching, listen to me, to serve you. God wants to serve. Sounds like heresy to some of you. It's the truth. God wants to serve you. So some of you think that God's into you serving him. No, God wants to first serve you. He wants to serve you. And real quickly, I want to look at this Acts chapter 6. Don't throw it up yet. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. We're going to look at it here in a moment. But what was taking place right here is the apostles, they were trying to juggle some tasks, okay? They had the responsibility, obviously, of preaching and praying over people. But they were also responsible to serve soup to, to, to people who were in their community. They were literally waiting tables is what happens. So all of a sudden, they only have so many hours in a day. And they're like, man, there are so many people we are serving soup to that it's now taking away from us being able to go and preach. We need to be able to go and preach. That's important too. So all of a sudden, the apostles, Peter, James, John, they go, hey, we need to find guys and we need to have them take our place of serving tables. But I want you to notice the criteria of men that they needed not to preach, not to pray, not to street witness, to simply serve tables. Let's look at Acts chapter six, verse three. This is the criteria. We want you to carefully select from among yourselves seven godly men. Listen to this. Make sure, this is the criteria, make sure they are honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And we'll give them the responsibility of this crucial, crucial ministry of serving. You would think a criteria for serving soup would be, do they have a vehicle? Can they show up here on time? Do they have a strong arm? Do they have a good work ethic? It was not any of that. It says, do they recognize God in every moment of their life? Do they recognize that there is no difference between preaching or serving soup, preparing a sermon or preparing soup? There is no difference. It's all sacred. The same Holy Spirit we need to go out and preach to people is the same Holy Spirit that wants to infiltrate their crucial ministry of serving. And I'm here to tell you, what would this do? What would this do to the way all of a sudden we begin to serve at home? We begin to love at home. We begin to act at home. This whole, this whole series has been about trying this at home. And I'm here to tell you, when you recognize that every moment of your life is sacred, there's not a, sec there's not a secular moment of your life. All of a sudden, every moment you recognize and you begin to lean, you begin to lean on that propping up. You're not trying to perform for God. You're trying to serve with God. And, and this is the thing I want to get to, because I want to really talk for the next couple of moments about serving at home. Because serving God should become serving with God. We don't just simply serve God. No, we serve with God. Mark 10 says this in verse 45, it says, for the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. I'm here to ask you this morning, that's obviously the words of Jesus. And he says, and came to give a li his life as a ransom for many. When did Jesus come back and make an addendum to that statement? When did Jesus come back and say, okay, you've heard it said, the son of man came to, to, to serve, not to be served, but now I've served you, so serve me. I'm kick my feet back in my celestial, you know, lazy boy. I want you to serve me. No, the heart of God is always to serve. So when you serve God, you're not really serving, you're serving with God. It is a group project. Now all of a sudden, this isn't just relegated to serving people coffee at Celebration Church. This can happen when you make your wife a cup of coffee in the morning. It's not just from you, it's from us. It's from us. I'm spending time with them as I do menial tasks. I'm spending time with them as I just take care of chores. And all of a sudden, these moments that I used to dread are moments I can't wait to plunge into. They're moments I can't wait to dive into. Oh, man, what would this do? What would this do? 
to the way we live our lives if we were to recognize that every single moment of our lives is sacred. It's sacred. There's not a moment, there's not a pocket, there's not a second of your life that isn't sacred. And if we'll just acknowledge, God, you're in this with me. He's not just with me when I pre- I'll be honest with you. I feel God way more when I'm just walking around this building straightened it up than I do just right now on this stage. I feel him right now on the stage. I'll be honest with you. But it is no different from the same God I feel as I just empty out trashes and I walk around making sure everything's where it needs to be. It's the same to me. It's literally the same. There is no discrepancy for me between the two. Man, this is making me come alive in a way I've never come alive before. I'm not giving you something I haven't tried. I've gotten high on my own supply. This is real. This is true. This is genuine. I'm telling you firsthand, it works. It works. It'll revolutionize. It'll revolutionize your life. And the last thing I wanna leave you with is this, that serving is the fruit of belonging. Serving is the fruit of belonging. We read John 15, four, that Jesus says, abide in me and you'll grow fruit. Abide in me and you'll produce fruit. I'm here to tell you, so many of us, we're trying to serve God so that one day we can belong to God. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you belong, that's why you serve. You don't serve to belong, you serve because you belong. I wanna read this real quickly, Acts 27. This is my last verse, 23. Paul says this in the the middle of an amazing story. He says, for last night, an angel of the God, listen, an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve. To whom I belong and to whom I serve. Paul seemed to believe that before he served God, he belonged to God. He belonged, before I ever serve God, before I ever do anything for God, I belong to him. If I serve, great, but the rest of my life, I am aware, I am cognitive of the fact that I belong to him. I belong to God. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.